Hello, my Q in Charge listeners and followers. This is your host for today, Sergei Marevich, and I'm also the founder and CEO of the company Q Charge, which is a one-stop shop entity and a turnkey solution for the EV charging infrastructure and networking provider. However, I did had uh, recently an opportunity to join last Expo of Electrification of the United States that was just held in um, Austin, Texas from November 10 until November 12th. Amazing two and a half days that I had an opportunity to interact with some of the newcomers in the market of the EVs and had opportunity to test drive approximately 20 different types of the vehicles uh, being presented at the show. On top of that, I had the opportunity to test drive two motorcycles. There was a, a vast number of the two wheelers over there from the bicycles and the motorcycles, um, even the scooters. Um, however, uh, the, my eye catching was those two motorcycles, uh, but more of that uh, later down the line. First day of the expo, we had industry day and it was very good panelists. They shared their insight on their vision uh, in the EV sector from aspects of the EV sales, EV users, um, and experiences of theirs, case scenarios and panelists, uh, personal experiences as well, including the charging station providers with the networking and software support. How did they venture to the certain overcoming of the issues um, in the field? And just in general, you know, how the networking support for all these people worked uh, in the field. They addressed on the first day of Expo all the potential future and current issues in the EV market and sales, difficulties, whys and no's. Um, there are currently obstacles uh, to faster sales of electric vehicles, electrical infrastructure challenge um, and responsiveness uh, by utility companies. Uh, cha uh, charging station solutions and their availability and dependability. All the panelists had a lot of good insight informations that they shared with attendees. The only thing that I believe, and that's again my humble opinion, is that the organization should bring more diversity of the panelists and in the higher numbers as well. The reason why I'm saying this is I've been present on a lot of these EV summits and expos. And most of the panelists are repetitive in some of the, and some of the information being provided to the listeners is also repetitive in the nature. This is uh, one of the reasons why I'm saying the organization should also, and not only this organization, but any other um, future EV expos should also consider the diversity of the panelists or potentially start implementing and bringing newer faces to these uh, shows and events uh, so that we can have more diverse views and all the topic on all the topics and thematics including the issues and solutions from the from a different perspective however i must say the organization was very pleasing well organized and it had everything what the uh, one or expo of this nature should have I will bring up one very good point to you, my listeners, and to all people who are trying to venture into purchasing electric vehicles, but they're hesitant to do so due to concerns as everybody has um, and 
And what is the most common? Well, range of anxiety and where to charge. One of the questions that I can say it was very interesting uh, that we heard on the panel, how inconvenient uh, is for people that they have to do extra long three preparations and plans using their electric vehicles. So they could plan the route where to make the stops for their charging sessions and hopefully that those charging stations will be available and operable when they come to it. And we got a really good answers, well, more to say an answer to these questions within a question. How many times per year do you plan long trips for you and your family members or friends or whatever type of an occasion that is going to lead you to this type of an excessive planning to use an electric vehicle on those trips? So, well, the simple answer to that would be we could anticipate two, maybe one, one to maybe two uh, times per year. So why would you obstruct yourself or prevent yourself from purchasing an electric vehicle? Just for one or two, maybe trips down the line that would need a bit of a planning. Hmm. I mean, seriously, instead, put your mindset on how much savings per month you will have just by simply not paying for the gasoline price anymore. I'll give you an example. If you take into consideration that um, the average daily commuter uh, or commuting is um, home to work, work to home, and a basic driving essentials in a daily routines. For that, you will need to, on average, to spend on your electrical bill to charge your electric car somewhere around $30 to $50 compared to $300 to $500 per month for your combustion engine vehicles. And I uh, believe so that $300 to $500 per month is the U.S. average spendings on a gasoline. So just to be able to commit daily, I mean, consider how much of money you're going to save. Second good point, an observation is that most families today have at least two vehicles per household, which was also one of the good points by the panelists stating that at least one of those two vehicles should be an EV. And they don't see the reason why not to. To be honest with you, I do agree with this statement. Prices of electric cars are at the moment still somewhat higher. And I do understand the concern of the regular consumers, you know, how much money they're going to spend for purchasing these type of vehicles. However, due to competitiveness from the East, the price started drastically to drop down. And we can see that as we role in a daily routine on this uh, type of uh, uh, industry. And we anticipate that the price range will soon be in decline due to some factors as well. So what those factors are or might be? Well, simply those factors can be categorized or described in a several different ways. At first, people cannot afford to pay a hefty price for electric vehicles compared to the ICE cars. So we definitely need to start anticipating sales to you uh, anticipating sales of used electric vehicles to be in the near future in the rise. I will give you an example. Uh, Volkswagen Golf ID4, due to the competitive price of Chinese vehicles, they had to drop the selling point price in China to only $16,000 compared 
to double price in the EU and US. That can be one of the indicators that once the Chinese manufacturers or any other competitors are going to qualify to import the vehicles into the United States of America, it will definitely create competitive pricing that will potentially force other OM manufacturers to drop their pricing as well. One of the panelists also mentioned one very good point on one main issue and concern. And that was that the majority of the OM manufacturers of the vehicles here in the United States just starting to venture into EV departments and they're trying right now to create their EV lines. And mainly and they are mainly concentrate on a high end and big vehicles. The market is not just with the money that needs to that would need to be you know majority of these um, manufacturers to start thinking about, uh, but also the small guys. So what about them? You know, people do that they cannot afford, or let's say the neighbor next door that can barely afford two thousand um, dollars used vehicle as of now. How he can venture purchasing the vehicles that they're like thirty or forty thousand dollars? So how can it be affordable this way or competitive? If you look at the U.S. market, there are not so many vehicles available that they are fully electric. At the same time, compact and smaller sized vehicles can be more affordable by pricing than mid-sized sedans, SUVs, and performance vehicles. I'll give you another example: BYD which by the way, that's Tesla of um, China, has a vehicle in the market for around $10,000. And its size is similar to Chevy Volt or ID4 or smaller size uh, vehicles. Where are these options here in the United States for all the people to be able to potentially afford new vehicle and to be EV? The world shifted from, I mean, not so long ago, let's say about maybe 50 years ago, when um, we all had uh, one vehicle per family and where everybody depended heavily on that one transportation in a household. Now today, at least in the Western countries, right, most of the families have multiple transportations and people are mostly by themselves in the vehicle uh, commuting from work and back and all the essentials as we just described in the beginning of this uh, uh, podcast. So there is no longer necessity as uh, in the past to have extra space or large size vehicles. I mean, of course, in, in, unless if we are planning road trips or vacations and holidays, yeah, of course, um, that can be a secondary vehicle. I believe that this should be the main mindset of transformation for the OM manufacturers of the vehicles. If we want to seize this opportunity for a greener future for humanity. I mean, at least I hope so. That's the reason why we're doing all this. But let me continue our podcast. And, uh, and in this segment of our podcast, I would like to touch a bit on my personal experience driving some of these vehicles. I have to say that the highest impression, at least on me, was by the Porsche Taycan. And uh, not just because uh, it was a high-performance vehicle, but because of the interior design, vehicle sound effects, um, enormous amount of um, features on, on your dashboard and functionalities. And uh, standard HUD um, that is very nicely done with the good information on your windshield displayed almost all the time during the, during the drive. So there is almost no necessity to kind of even look on your dashboard 
or your what speed it is because it just displays right away on your windshield. Very good acceleration response, um, including good stopping time, regardless of the 40% heavier vehicle than the standard ICE vehicles. In general, it was a very good experience uh, being behind the wheel of such a beast of the car. I mean, you just have to try it. Seriously, folks. Switching from eco mode to a sport mode, it's very easy. Um, and you can definitely feel the significant difference in driving style from the firmness of your steering wheel to firmness of your suspension systems and braking time responses. All that comes into the really synchronized place and you can actually feel it. Of course, acceleration in a sports mode is beyond my expectation. The next uh, impressive electric cars, in my opinion, were by BMW and specifically the models i5, i7 and M-Class. I could say that these are some sort of um, very similar between all these three models and other across. And also comparing to the Porsche Taycan, at least in a certain features, uh, suiting uh, uh, design, um, in the number of the features, a nice dashboard, shift knob solution, and etc. The only difference I say is in the performance and their acceleration, but it is so minimalistic. Most of the other features I would say are uh, in a close race uh, with, uh, of course, a difference that Porsche has more horsepower, of course. But I would uh, say for the rest of the um, uh, features, they are neck to neck. The ride was very smooth um, and uh, I could say with a very good acceleration and braking response comparing to Porsche. A very soothing interior, as I stated, and design and vast features inside your cockpit. HED features are available the same as in a Porsche Taycan. And, and all of them had very good mileage ranges. However, I do have a backlash on their SUV design IX. Mm. I mean, I don't even know where to start, but it was not as I expected. Starting from the opening of the doors, it sounded very flimsy and makes a very poor plastic assembly sound, almost like a child toy. Uh, windows are very shaky and you have a feeling like they will break off. The seats were also not um, that comfortable as comparing to the rest of the models and not what I expected for an SUV. The ride should be smoother being an SUV than comparing to i5 or i7 or M-Class vehicles. Um, however, I found that um, i7 had better suspension system than the SUV. Overall, my pick would be i7 and M-Series. Next, uh, the next speed stop was, Lux, uh, was Lexus. And um, their new model, um, full EV RZ. But for the price that they are selling them, for the price that they are selling them for, they do not offer a lot of features compared to the others. I can say the interior design was expected, really good. However, nothing to set them apart compared to their competitors. Acceleration was a bit sluggish and not as responsive as other vehicles. There is not much difference between the ICE vehicle and their EV model vehicle. I mean, if you change their, if you look at their 
um, design, interior, exterior, they're almost look-alike with a minimalistic design change in their interior to accommodate electric car features and commands on the dashboard. I would say that Lexus had the least amount of interest from the people. Um, in my opinion and my list, they are at the bottom. Um, I would definitely not engage, at least by myself, myself um, of purchasing uh, Lexus. Polestar was, uh, in my opinion, one of the average vehicles um, and definitely not worth the price. That was another disappointment um, on my list. And comparing the price with their competitors and offerings from the dashboard and performance was not as I expected. I had, to be honest with you, higher hopes for the Polestar um, since I never experienced it in a, in a real life. Uh, this was my first time. And... I was kind of be disappointed. I liked that they uh, kept the traditional design of shifting uh, on the middle console as we have it today on all ICE uh, vehicles, majority at least. Since our memory muscle is where the shifter is, right, and goes straight on our right-hand side, um, I mean, our hand just goes basically subconsciously to search for that shifter on a mid-console compared to some other brands and shifters that was uh, just a push of a button. In some instances, uh, very inconveniently placed and not that uh, uh, vis visually seen or easily to identify. I would say that there was not you know, any specific feature to set them apart compared to the competitors. In my opinion, I would definitely not consider it to buy. Well, next, hmm, <laughs> well, I think next on Mitsubishi um, as the next uh, vehicle to this to describe, since they did not had um, full EV. However, they did come with a presentation of a plug-in hybrids. I could say that um, I mean not only but one of the major right uh, benefits of a plug-in hybrids is that the combination of the conventional gasoline and a small battery packs help with the price cost per mile. The second benefit to plug-in hybrids would be that um, they do not solely depend on electric charging stations. So you can have your regular daily driving routine as a normal with a small benefit to save you the money on a monthly basis for your gasoline. On average, well, you could save uh, somewhere about uh, 30 to 40% on your monthly spending on your gas. The interior is stylish. However, the dashboard is minimalistic. It does have third row of the seats, which is not convenient at all. To be able to use the third row, um, the second row of the seats has to be pulled relatively close to the first row of the seats, where you have second and the third row very limited uh, space for your feet and your, and your leg space. The third row could be only categorized uh, for potentially you know, children, children, uh, passengers, or or a, or a small size uh, passengers, not great design at all. EVs are becoming more popular and in higher demand. To support EVs drive, a reliable network of charging stations are needed. Charging stations provide convenience, generate revenue, and increase property value. Charging with renewable energy sources reduces your carbon footprint. Battery storage solutions ensure power outage protection. 
EV charging stations are important for building a sustainable future. Take advantage of rebate programs and federal tax incentives. Let us help you on this journey every step of the way. Choose your partner, not a vendor. QCharge. Next disappointment on the list, it is Volkswagen and their pride of ID4. Well, I'll just start from this. Me as, as a European and being a big golf enthusiast in my youth, having three of them in the past. Um, and also in the past, I had also four Volkswagen Corrado G60s. Even today, I possess one of them as uh, still. I was very disappointed with the design and performance of the Volkswagen and how poorly Golf ID4 was performing and just in general design. The price is, in my opinion, way too high for very poor quality in the features. I mean, acceleration was like, uh, I mean, like I was driving vehicles from the 60s or 70s, and I'm not talking about the muscle cars, but European models like a four cylinders, which they had no power and slowly picking up on the speed compared to their competitors. I mean, really disappointed. Um, I could say, well, I could say that on the show, uh, I could say that on the show, overall, um, in this um, expo, when it comes to acceleration response, Volkswagen had it the worst, followed by Polestar, Lexus, and Honda BZ4, which I'll talk about a bit later. The interior is nothing special, and no big flashy features on the dashboard as well. No HUD, a very minimalistic uh, dashboard, as I already said. Um, and not convenient in a weird position for shifting um, and parking all on the push buttons. Um, I mean, totally disappointing in my eyes. Not, I don't want to, I don't want to backlash them anymore. So anyway, um, my next one is going to be WinFast and Vietnamese OM car manufacturer. They had a good variety of the vehicles um, on the show um, and they have very unique design and look. Um, and for the, inst and for the instance, um, the rear of the vehicle somehow resembles on the older BMW models, uh, specifically like on SUVs or mid-size crossovers, um, especially when it comes to the crossover as an, an SUV, as I already said. Their solution for VF9 is, by my opinion, best car they have to offer with uh, three row seats. They're very spacious, extremely nice interior design, very luxurious look, um, a lot of features um, on the dashboards, uh, great performance and acceleration response, good mileage range, and of course, competitive pricing. Um, their model VF3 is a compact version of the vehicle, and it is definitely a vehicle to keep an eye um, and to, you know, to keep mind, uh, to keep in mind due to their um, size and pricing. Size can be very important for parking um, on the streets where you can where you can find way easier to squeeze your vehicle uh, into the smaller parking stalls when you have, of course, smaller size of the car. So a very good daily commuter for shorter distances because um, the batteries are smaller compared to the other models. So they do not have that much of a great uh, and good mileage range. But however, definitely vehicle uh, to keep an eye on. Uh, the test drive was nice, comfortable vehicle and comfortable cars um, with a good dashboard and good features that they come with. 
not too complicated to understand the use of the vehicle, good response time on interactions um, across all the functionalities. Uh, definitely worth um, for the price they're asking. Volvo came with the three SUV models um, and they had a C30, uh, C40 and XC90 model. And I can tell you all three of them, they are very lookalike um, when you compare them, but they do have very small type of details, uh, specifically between the model of 30 and 40. And of course the model 90 it's one of the largest uh, of their SUVs with, again, with a, with a third um, row of the seating uh, capacities. As for the SUV side of the presentation of electric vehicles, Volvo did not came short, that for sure. Uh, from compact to full-size SUV, their exterior and the interior design is at the higher end, I would say. Um, a very uh, quality interior with a lot of features. Uh, performance and acceleration response was uh, average comparing to um, all the vehicles being being on, exposed, um, but on a higher end, I can definitely say. The only downside is the higher cost of the vehicles, and they do not qualify for tax incentives. But do not get me wrong, this is not the only manufacturer that does not qualify for the tax incentives. Since to qualify under the Build America, Buy America Act, needs to be built here in the United States. So this is the information so you know uh, if the cars are not built um, in the United States, then the car will not qualify for the tax incentives. It could still qualify for the rebate depending on your state, uh, depending on your state that you're in. However, they do have a certain way um, also for the non-built vehicles um, uh, being sold here in the United States to qualify for the tax incentives, but that goes through the leasing uh, leasing options. Uh, and for that thing, you're going to need to ask your dealerships um, how that can work. Uh, Toyota had only one full EV um, at the show, model BZ4X, and it did not take too much of my attention, to be honest. I did sit in it and give it a test drive. Um, however, Comparing to the rest of the vehicles is nothing impressive. I would say that uh, it uh, could be in the same rank as the Lexus electric car. They did not make any distinguished um, difference, uh, difference in the exterior or interior to be eye-catching or to understand that that vehicle is fully electric unless you know that that model is fully electric vehicle. Acceleration was too much of a gap between accepting the command and response gap when you start applying pressure on the pedal. So that acceleration side, I was not happy with it. Um, the compact SUV vehicle has plenty of space um, in interior and the design of uh, interior, when it comes to the spacing, they did uh, proportionally make it really good, a good trunk. And like I said, um, suiting interior as, uh, as well, just in general. However, for the price, there are better vehicles to look into. One of the most eye-catching vehicles beside the Porsche Taycan was also the Ford Mustang E-Mac and their F-150 Lightning pickup truck. Um, I have to say that after trying both those of vehicles, um, there was almost not noticeable performance difference between those two. Mustang was just a better, uh, Mustang was just a better 
on handling due to the sport suspension and lower center of gravity compared to the F-150. Um, but Mustang has uh, a nice big operational display with a lot of features to go through. I did not like the knob being on the screen, kind of weirdly positioned in a bottom section of the screen. It could uh, be more beneficial uh, to have it to have that part of the um, extended screen and knob separately to operate certain features. Um, Mustang shifting is done by turning the knob on the middle of the console. So it is kind of with by the muscle memory still in the area where you should anticipate it. However, my preference would be to have it as a regular shift uh, handle, similar to today's um, conventional Mustangs. They did that on a Ford 150 lighting, and I like that feature uh, that was a shifting knob on a central console, same as, uh, as in conventional shifters. Both vehicles were amazing uh, and worth of money. One benefit that you can gain with the F-150 is that is already compatible uh, to act as your off-grid battery storage system and provide energy to your household in any type of emergency or disasters for almost up to the three days, depending, of course, on your conservative use. Um, you just uh, would need to install at your household in your electrical system transfer switch to accept return of the power from an external source. Vehicles, um, I would definitely look into for sure, and I recommend, highly recommend. During the test drive, I had also the opportunity to be driven by professional drivers on the obstacle course, uh, during, um, which gave me some performance in the Mustang EMAC. And of course, we also saw some of the racers, um, the professional drivers, you know, um, creating and giving us a bit of a show um, what performance actually the Mustang EMAC can actually have and make. It was an amazing experience, even though I had not had a chance to sit behind the steering wheel in a performance driving course with performance uh, with a performance vehicle, which maybe somewhere in this uh, video you can potentially see um, where he is making uh, burning of the tires and all that kind of things, uh, you know, doing the donuts and some type of things uh, that you can see only on these shows. Lastly, I will uh, talk about motorcycles. Well, I had experience with um, uh, with two uh, motorcycles that actually catch my eye to sit on them and drive them and you know, to have a good feel and understanding also on the side of the electric uh, motorcycles. There were a lot of uh, e-bikes, e-scooters, uh, PEVs, um, and other smaller size of electric transportations. However, the two vehicles that I had the most interest uh, and that I will talk about is the first uh, first one um, is Livewire 1 and Delmar. Those are the two models. And uh, new uh, XQI3, the street model that I had chance to drive. I'll start with the models of from um, from Livewire. So they have um, they have the model one and Delmar, but completely different uh, different styles of, of of riding them. The model one is a sporty model, and Delmar is more of a feel kind of like a naked bike experience. What I like about those models is that they accept standard J 
1772 connectors. Therefore, they can be charged on a public charging stations and, of course, on a faster level two charging stations at home compared to competitors that um, uh, they must use their own charging pr uh, chargers provided by the vehicle and by the company. Um, and they're working from the regular 120 volt outlets, which that uh, resembles on a longer on a longer charging times, right? Um, by the performance, they're almost equal, uh, with the difference that the Model One has um, approximately 20 miles longer mile mile range, which is insignificant comparing to both of them. Depends on what type of riding style you prefer, sporty or more relaxed. Uh, taking into consideration that was made by Harley Davidson and Livewire, they have done a pretty decent job. However, the price point is a bit higher than anticipated. The price is over 22K um, for the ones who think is worth the price tag. I mean, well, all I can say, go for it. Um, the ride is great um, and the bike looks overall good. However, for the noise enthusiasts, well, that is a completely different story. And I know uh, what majority of the bikers or let's say choppers, uh, I, mean, chop I mean, chopper drivers, what they would uh, potentially say on this. But you will be like a ninja shadow, uh, silent as the dark. Um, comparing the EV motorcycle models um, to new XQI3 uh, that are in the same rank or design, I could say that this model surpassed them all. However, as an experienced motorcycle driver, um, there were a couple of the features on the steering bar available for use, but inconvenient in the location to operate. I will give you um, an example. Um, they have a boost button on your right-hand lever where you actually have the acceleration that gives you instantaneous acceleration, kind of like a nitrous. However, the button, or let's say more like a lever, um, is inconveniently placed. Um, so if you are throttling and at the same time trying to press that button, it's almost impossible and it could potentially be dangerous for unexperienced drivers. Um, the second thing that uh, was not, in my opinion, satisfactory was the type of the tires that they're mainly for off-road driving being placed for the street legal motorcycle. Well, why is that? I'll tell you from my experience and potentially majority of the uh, motorcycle riders, they will agree with me. When, um, well, when you um, do not have a good grip on the asphalt or concrete, and that can be definitely, you know, lead to the danger, danger into cornering. And when you have the off-road tires used, used on a asphalt and a concrete, uh, they are uh, with the lesser of the grip. Um, because you solely depend on those little squares uh, to give you that attachment to the surface. So it could be very dangerous and very slippery. And specifically on the, uh, you know, let's say wet conditions of the road. The speed on the vehicle was also a bit disappointing. It could not go over 50 miles an hour and the mile range was around 50 miles only. However, the price range could be a factor key for some buyers since it's rated below $6,000. And there are potentially talking that maybe there's gonna be even further uh, decline on the price uh, or reduction on the, price, on the price, we could say. Definitely worthwhile for the money.
I mean, I would say it was fun uh, riding it. I wish, though, I could have tried it on the street instead of uh, on a closed um, course between the cones. But I was able to throttle it to the full speed at the 47 miles per hour. And uh, it was kind of a flimsy in the cornering, or especially when I had a sharp corner or sharp turns to do, that I felt kind of unsecure and unsafe um, going too fast um, into those corners. Overall, I could say that the Expo was a good place to be and see what uh, what's all about uh, and to see all the new uh, comes to electric vehicles. And I believe that people should come to these uh, types of events to put themselves behind the wheel and get personal experience before making their decision on purchasing electric cars or the motorcycles, whatever. And to determine which vehicle is good for them and also within their budgets. Yes, the mindset must change in the future for all drivers. If we want to become zero emission population, that, that is a must, it has to happen. Of course, um, it's, it's not gonna happen overnight worldwide and it, it, it is difficult and it is challenging. And uh, to put us on a fast track for all this, uh, if we want to be on a fast track for this, and if we want to make the change in our country, we need to start from ourselves and change first our own perspective um, to be able to help other people who do not see the benefits or, or just they're afraid of a change. I understand that the change sometimes can be scary due to not knowing everything in the details uh, about how to do it and how to venture. Um, but therefore, are people like me and and people uh, who are presenting or representing um, on these expos and how to venture and how to implement all this infrastructure to be more easy, easier and hassle-free to you and to provide you with all these details and answers. To, I mean, to any type of questions you might have, I mean, to ease your mind and, you know, just help you on a better decision. I can go on this podcast into all the details of what I've seen or experienced. However, I do encourage all of you, um, my listeners, uh, go, go there. I mean, and, and have this type of uh, uh, personal experience. It is really, really it will give you it will give you completely different uh, perspective and mind um, on what you have right now off of the of the electric cars and in general the infrastructure. If for nothing else, at least go over there for fun. I mean, it is a lot of fun. Um, and it I, and I can tell and I can definitely vouch it was really fun testing all these cars, um, driving them on the streets, driving them on the course. Um, and also driving them on the race circuit. We also had the opportunity to do that on the second day. Well, this would be all for today's report and uh, video podcast. Uh, stay safe and healthy in this uh, season of viruses and uh, give us a feedback and what you would like to see here um, and, you know, about what do you would like uh, to get information or or. What is your interest? Help us out so that we're going to be able to uh, present that to you. And of course, um, don't forget to like us, subscribe to us, and share us. And until next time.